Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. I'm going to be turning uh, to Matthew chapter 27. We will continue our discipleship series next Sunday. But since this is Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to uh, hone in on that this morning. And as usual, I went back and acquainted myself with the story. Uh, I, I tried to uh, be an avid reader. And so whenever I read throughout a year, I have a few books going digitally and the old good in hand hardback and paperbacks. I tried to read purposefully. And so leading up to Easter, I knew Easter or Resurrection Sunday was coming. So I had some books in my library I've never read that centered around the Easter story or the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. And I just finished my, my quote-unquote Resurrection Sunday book uh, last night. And so all of that helps keep my mind headed in the right direction uh, concerning services like this. Matthew chapter 27 and I want to read verses 35 and 36. Just couched right here in the whole crucifix event of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. The psalmist David had written about that in Psalms 22, a messianic psalm, if you will. Matter of fact, amazing thing. And there's so many. If, if you talked about every aspect of the crucifixion and resurrection, we could be here for till tonight. Uh, but uh, whenever we think about David pinning those words in Psalms 22 of parting those things and all those details, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this would ever occur and before the idea of a crucifix was even in the mind of culture. That's just amazing to me. Nonetheless, verse number, verse number 36. So they've done this. They parted the garments. They've cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. Meaning those, those soldiers that have done this and have had the responsibility of affixing him to the tree and hoisting him up in his place. When they've said and done these things that they have done, they sat down and they watched him there. For a little while this morning, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach this. Keep staring. Keep, keep staring. Hallelujah. Can we go to the Lord right now? Father, I come to you. I'm asking, oh God, for your help today. Lord, as we said, or I said rather in our Lord prayer with those that are here this morning, this is perhaps one of the most peculiar Resurrection Sundays that we've had as a church, although we know the first one was probably the most peculiar. I pray, oh God, today that you're able to anoint God, your messenger of clay today. Lord, I am just a, a transfer, if you will, a 
of your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is alive. Your word is anointed. God, I pray, God, penetrate, Lord, walls and atmospheres and lives today, God, with your word. And we'll not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do and accomplish, Jesus, today in the homes of your people. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you this morning. God bless you this morning. Again, my message title is Keep Staring. But stop staring. If I heard it once, I heard it several times as a kid. Our house was right across the street from a trailer court, a trailer park. And as a result of that, many times there was all type of activity that took place in the trailer park. There were arguments that took place outside of people's trailers. There were domestic issues that were happening over there. Cop cars would arrive across the street over there with different episodes that were occurring. So there was a lot of activity that took a place across the street from our house. And we had in our home just, and I say this virtually, I'm not trying to uh, be... Uh, uh, exaggerating the moment, but what seemed to me as a child, we had about a one foot by one foot black and white TV screen. All right, that's what we had growing up. But who in the world needed that whenever you lived across the street from the trailer court? I mean, there would be times we could just go outside and sit on the porch in the swing and be entertained by the activity across the street. Needless to say, as a result of that, there were plenty of opportunities to be told, stop staring. And somehow, I believe it's a rite of passage in childhood for at least once to be told, stop staring. My mom told me that it was rude to stare at people, that it was rude to stare at situations that were going on. She certainly emphasized that if, if I was gawking at someone with a physical challenge or deformity that I should not stare. If someone tripped and fell and I stole a glance at it and maybe snickered, it wasn't long I heard, Paul Robert, stop staring. Or if a couple of, was having a heated argument, she made sure that I knew that it wasn't proper to eavesdrop with our eyes, only our ears. I'm just kidding, Mom. Just kidding. And yet, psychology reports that not only do we have a willingness to stare, but something like an innate need to stare. The human brain enjoys categories, categories man and, or woman. Uh, it considers categories like a big or small Object. Our brain constantly does this uh, concerning circumstances. Is it a threatening or a safe circumstance? Our brains do this categorizing constantly and effortlessly in our heads. This is how we process the world around us by shoving events, things, and people in these different categories in our brain. Anything that differs, uh, anything that differs from what our brains are used to or what is normal to our brains, whether it is a scar or perhaps a birthmark upon somebody's body that can be seen, it sends then our brains into overdrive and it promotes stress. 
daring, amen, from us. Our brains in that moment are really slowing down to take in what is to us a irregularity or what is to us an anomaly. Some say, see, as a result of this, it's rude then to stare. Amen. Others say, see, you only stare whenever something is different from normal to you. That, that is impolite. But in one study, they said and argued that staring is less about being judgmental and more about trying to understand, meaning that we learn through observation. The Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. But what was there really for a Roman soldier to see? In speaking about the suffering servant, Isaiah spoke of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53 and 2 and said that he hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Some other translations further clarify and bring clarity to that statement of Isaiah by saying he has no stately form or majesty speaking of Christ that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him in other words if this man Christ Jesus was to be the king of the Jews there was nothing stately about that man there was nothing majestic about him there was no entourage necessarily around him there was no great pomp if you will that encircled him there was nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ that would draw someone's attention to him the contemporary version English version of the Bible says nothing about the way that he looked made him attractive to us in other words he was just in many regards another man for that matter his appearance was one that we would not be attracted to but rather according to other places in scripture we may have been repulsed by Isaiah picks up the pen again in Isaiah 54 and verse 14 speaking of Jesus Christ the suffering servant and says his visage or his features uh, were so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men I realize that that is very easily alluding to his crucifix but there are some that even believe that his visage and his features were not of the greatest even before crucifix they believe that his body through his earthly ministry had been marred if you will to a certain degree by all of the prayers and the fastings and the watchings and the troubles that he had been in as a matter of fact whenever Jesus said in John chapter number 8 as he had a discussion with the Jews and told them that their father Abraham rejoiced to see his day the Jews thought in that moment how in the world can this be they said he is not yet 50 years old when in reality at that time he was somewhere around 30-ish or so years old. That's about a 20-year difference perhaps to the Jews even as a man. Jesus looked older than what he was in that moment. Perhaps his features told the story of an older person, an older body than what reality was. And so while normal people as us today, as we are, are 
drawn to the abnormal. And as we may stare, marred bodies and mangled figures were nothing unusual to these Roman soldiers. To them, Jesus Christ was just another criminal. To them, he was just another, if you will, thief or robber that was meeting their death. Understand them being at the foot of the cross. This was their job. This was their occupation. They had seen undoubtedly multiple of crucifixes in their lifetime. The centurion's four soldiers that he had with him, these boys were accustomed to nailing criminals to a cross. It was second nature to them. Just another day at work, if you will, for them. To these soldiers, crucifix was just another duty to be performed by them. And perhaps to them, to execute, to execute one execution may just be as much the same like another execution. But if the Roman citizens entered in that culture in day, as they oftentimes did, if Roman citizens entered into an amphitheater in those days to watch gladiators fight man against man or man against beast, to fight and to shed blood and fight until the death, imagine... If Roman citizens did that, imagine what type of a spectacle Calvary must have been being led by hardened soldiers who that was their daily, amen, activity, if you will, crucifying people on a cross. The Bible says right before they part his garments, right before they part his raiment, it says that they cast lots. Luke records then from that, the first, the first cry from the cross right before they part his garments. And if the first statement from the cross is applied to anybody, certainly it is applied to the Roman soldiers. Luke 23 and verse 34 says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Those soldiers can we agree today? These Roman soldiers did not know what they were doing. They were Romans. They were not Jews. They were following the dictates of another higher power. In many ways, they were removed from this figure, this man, Jesus Christ. Amen. They may not have known much about him. They were of the Gentile breed. They had come, if you will, not of the house of Israel, but of the house that, as Jesus' ministry originally came, was not for them. These are Roman soldiers. But these Roman soldiers, perhaps some of the very ones that sat there, as the Bible says, and watched him on the cross, perhaps some of those very same soldiers are those who formerly had scourged him. It's important to note, amen, this morning, I believe that whenever they scourged the Lord, there was no specified number, amen, of stripes or scourging according to Roman law. It was the Jews that had the 40 stripes save one or the 39. But Jesus in his scourging was not at the mercy of the Jews. He was at the mercy of Romans. And so there is no specified number concerning the stripes. It could have been one of those Roman soldiers that's now sitting at the foot of the cross looking who may have been the very 
one that had scourged him. Many men died at the whipping post and never even made it to the cross. Their scourging was known as the halfway death, meaning that they already had an individual halfway dead before they ever reached the cross. But the Roman soldiers, amen, were the ones responsible for the scourging. And yet, as Scripture says again, we hear in the back of our minds, they did not know what they were doing. It was the Roman soldiers that stripped the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the soldiers that that plated a, a crown of thorns in order to place it upon his head and those thorns to pierce his brow. It was the soldiers that mocked him by putting a robe around him and a rod in his hand and would fall down upon their knees before him, hailing him to be the king of the Jews in a mocking type of manner and type of way. Listen, folks, these Roman soldiers didn't know what they were doing. These same soldiers are those, those four, amen, that was under the the, the rulership of, of, of the centurion that was at the cross. Those four, amen, same soldiers would be the ones that would lead him from the judgment hall of Pilate all the way to Mount Calvary. It is said in history that typically they would take the longest route, amen, from Jerusalem to Calvary. They want to take the longest route with all of the condemnations, if you will, against the individual around their neck, amen, so that all the people in the public would realize it and see it. They wanted to make an example of the convict to the public. It was these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, that would pin the arms and the legs down amen of Jesus Christ as another would put the nails through his hands and through his feet it's these Roman soldiers that would lift up that attached body and affix it upright on the hill of Golgotha but these boys I declare to you they did not know what they were doing because everything it seems like that they did every action that they took we understand now according to the word of God that over 20 scriptures from the Old Testament were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. They didn't know what they were doing. Right down to the parting of his garments. Right down to casting lots for that seamless inner garment. John said it like this. He said this was done. That scripture might be fulfilled. They didn't know what they were doing but God knew what he was doing. They didn't know the activity and all of the ramifications of what was taking place through their actions but God had a plan typical Jewish articles of clothing in that day that they wore were their shoes or their sandals they had a turban or some type of head covering for their head they had a girdle they had an outer cloak and they also had a inner garment each of those items amen were distributed among the four Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross except for one the inner garment I know we have heard the phrase cast lots in the Old Testament scripture before, but understand this is casting lots not in a Jewish context, but in a Roman context. For the Romans, casting lots could have literally been throwing dice. 
as in a sense of gambling. Dice are very old. They go all the way back to Egyptian time. They could have very easily, amen, been throwing dice, gambling for the garment, that inner garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it literally can't be proved or disproved uh, if they were using dice in a game of chance or not, but it could possibly be that they were gambling for the garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Though it can't be proved if they were not using dice, what this does is prove that they didn't understand the gravity of what was going on because at the foot of the cross amen there were soldiers that were peddling in the wares of the articles that Jesus had on his body they were peddling in the wares of the temporal material things that would fade away and depreciate and fade away amen they were doing that for themselves but while they did that for themselves at the foot of the cross Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was exchanging life and he was exchanging blood not for the temple but for the eternal for you and for me the soldiers at the base of the cross they're gambling away if you will taking a chance while Jesus hanging on the cross was making a choice they the soldiers were more concerned about those items that had touched them that maybe they could get money out of more so than they were the man himself they could take some of those articles they had street markets in those days that they could take some shoes or a turban and go somewhere and sell those items and get money for it amen here they are scrambling over the worth of a garment and yet for hours it would seem they never seemingly comprehended the worth of the sacrifice on the tree because they just did not understand it nor what they were doing William Barclay says it like this, and sitting down, they watched him there, the soldiers did. There while they played with dice, he made his sacrifice. Though a request had been made to prevent a drawn-out death on Calvary, historically, some report that there have been times that crucifixes had taken and lasted up to nine days Crucifix wasn't supposed to be necessarily a swift death. They wanted to be as long and arduous and as painful as possible. And so these soldiers that sat down and watched, they are there for the long haul. These four have expended their energies. They have affixed the Savior to the cross. They've hoisted him up between heaven and earth. And now they sit down idly waiting taking their ease now just awaiting his death and what may have seemed like to them another hurry up and get him crucified and now wait for the death what they had in reality is a front row seat to the greatest event in human history they sat if you will at the dividing line of all time and seemed the none the wiser for it because all criminals were the same, weren't they? Again, it says in sitting down, they watched him there. That was their post. Other translations of the scripture say they kept watch over him. Or they stayed there keeping guard over him. In other words, the soldiers watched or kept guard over Jesus. None would be permitted close to the cross if 
pre-adventure. They tried to rescue the Lord. None would be permitted near the cross lest they tried to hasten his death that he would be sooner gone than what just the natural occurrence of crucifix would allow. But in reality, while they were trying to keep people at that bay, amen, not near or nigh the cross, mankind in reality was the closest they'd ever been to being reconciled to God in the moment that Jesus was on the cross. The, 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 the apostle Paul says in Romans 5 and 10, for if when we were sinners... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. In other words, the apostle Paul said we're reconciled to God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. While they're trying to keep people at bay really in what was happening in that moment, mankind was the closest that they would ever be. Amen. And returning, being reconciled to God. Ephesians 2 and 13 says it like this. But now in Jesus Christ, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We already had blood on the back, blood running down the head, blood from the nail prints and hands and feet. He says those that were far are now made nigh by the blood. Soldiers trying to keep them at bay, but still what was happening was calling, if you will, a closeness in the realm of the spirit, amen, that no one, amen, could deny. Amen. But the soldiers in reality, those Roman soldiers, if anything, they are an example of people being close to the cross spatially, yet far from it in reality. They didn't know what they were doing. They'd been staring, watching, keeping guard for several hours now. The Bible says in verses 50 through 53, of Matthew 27 that Jesus came to that climatic moment and he gives up the ghost he yields his spirit he lays down his life like he said he would he's the only one that had power to lay it down and take it up he lays down his life and in the moment that he lays down his life Scripture tells us that the veil in the temple is rent in twain from top to bottom. It says that the earth did quake and the rocks rent and surprisingly, really not, but many of the graves of the saints were opened. And that those same saints would resurrect after Christ had resurrected. But at this particular moment now, their graves are open. It's in that setting of the yielding of the ghost, the renting of the veil. Amen. The graves being opened of several saints and the rocks being rent in the earthquake. But the Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 54, now when the centurion, this Roman centurion, and they that were with him, notably those four soldiers, watching Jesus. Remember, they have sat down and just watched him there. Now when they saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared, meaning that they were in awe. They were in amazement, greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Can I submit to you on this Resurrection Sunday morning, it's not that they had only seen Jesus in their watching and in their staring. Not only had they only witnessed
witnessed the earthquake, but they had seen those things that were done concerning Jesus, culminating up into those this moment. Everything that was done, every every little juncture of the road along the way, leading up to this moment, they had been watching, observing, if you will, staring. They had saw the earthquake. They had felt the earthquake. Yes, and those things that were done, ladies and gentlemen, it is. It, they could not see. Amen. The veil in the temple rent from top and bottom. We had that information in the scripture, but the guards, those Roman soldiers, would not have been able, amen, to see that because they're at Golgotha. They're not at the temple. But if John describes it, amen, like he describes it, that where Jesus was crucified was near a garden where there was a tomb wherein no man had ever laid, they were definitely then close to some type of graveyard or cemetery where people were buried. They may not have seen the temple written twain, but they saw the earthquake, felt the earthquake, and they began to see stones in garden tombs start to roll back out of the trenches on the left and on the right rocks being rent on the left and on that right listen to me imagine with me for a moment for that matter consider what these Roman soldiers have seen those things that they saw that had led up to this moment the Bible says that while Christ was on the cross from the sixth hour to the ninth hour there was darkness remember darkness over the whole land so at the six hour darkness came while it was day those Roman soldiers saw that don't you think for a moment that once darkness came upon the land that they fastened their eyes a little bit more keenly upon the Lord that they stared a little bit more intently they were not going to take their eyes off him they were not going to slack in their watch they were not going to slack in their guard during those hours of darkness but can I present to you this morning that the moment that Jesus Christ yielded up the ghost the lights came back on in the earth Hallelujah. The moment that he yielded up that spirit, the lights came back on all throughout the land and those Roman soldiers saw those things that were done. There is an aspect about this this morning in which I believe those guards were taking in consideration everything that they had witnessed leading up to the moment of the giving up of the ghost. They had heard and saw and took in consideration every accusation that had been made against the Lord, every false witness that had been touted against the Lord. They noticed, if you will, that when they first tried to give him something to drink which had medicinal properties of easing the pain of those that were crucifixed, crucified the Bible says that Jesus rejected that, they had a lot of crucifixes, a lot of men on the cross and they had never seen a man deny something that was going to help with the pain that he was going to endure on the cross but they took note in their staring and they took note in their watching of these things if they had seen crucifixes long and arduous amen here is a man that is giving up the ghost his life is going six hours six hours that Friday on the cross and his life is already moving from him amen they didn't have to break the Lord's legs he was already lifeless no doubt they took that in consideration we've never seen it on this wise they seen everything, everything that was done. 
They, this was their occupation. This was their life. Many people that was crucified on the cross, history even says that they would revile, they'd use vile language. But there's no rebuttal coming from Jesus' mouth concerning what was done. There's a lack, if you will, of cursing that's happening. And so as they guarded, or if you will, as they stared, naturally, their brain is slowing down to mark the differences, to categorize this man compared to every other man that they put on a tree. Hallelujah. They're categorizing. They're, they're noting, if you will, uh, irregularity. They're noticing, if you will, a difference and their brain is processing and their brain is, is categorizing what they saw. Folks, whenever I say that, that, that there were people on the cross that would have all type of vile language, it is not un unaccustomed. According to history, historical records that Roman soldiers frequently climbed up crosses and cut out the tongues of criminals while they were being crucified because they had so many insults and vile language that was toward the, the ex execution that when they got tired of it, amen, they would just climb up and cut the tongue of the criminal out of their mouth. But Peter, when he spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, this man who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. And they saw all of those things. Their brain is processing all of those things. You read in Matthew 27, people walk by Calvary. They're wagging their heads. They're attacking and they're questioning Jesus Christ being the son of God. Chief priests come by. Scribes, elders likewise come by. And all of them, Jew and Gentile alike, assault the idea of Jesus being the son of God. And these Jews are Jesus' people. Yet they deny him being the son of God. And it seems as though what Jesus suffered in the end of his ministry, he had suffered at the beginning of his ministry in his wilderness. Exchanged the common man of Calvary's day <laughs> and the Jews of Calvary's day for the devil, and you have the Satan in the wilderness that's disputing that Jesus Christ in the beginning of his ministry is the son of God. He coughed and came to the Lord there in the beginning of the ministry and said, if you be the son of God, if thou be the son of God, make stones bread, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. He was attacking that son of God. And yet, from the mouths of some Roman soldiers... Listen to me here real clearly. From the mouths of some Roman soldiers. Guys, according to the word, didn't know really what they were doing. They were just doing their job. They were just functioning in their position. They didn't realize almost everything they were doing. They were helping fulfill the scripture. They didn't know what they were doing. From the mouths of these guys came these words in the moment of Christ yielding up his spirit. Truly, because of what they saw and those things that were done, truly, this was the Son 
of God. Can I tell you this morning that their stare or their watching or their guarding had not proven to be rude at all. But in reality, it offered for those four an understanding that surpassed, as it would seem, everyone else. They had heard many Jews and priests and scribes and elders. They had heard. They had seen and they had heard. They heard the chief priest go by. Hallelujah. He can save He can save everybody else but himself he cannot save. Come down from the cross. He'd heard everybody else say, well, if you're the son of God, then why don't you do this? If you're the son of God, then why don't you do that? They have heard that claim over and over again. But now simply from the mouth of a staring group of men came this understanding. Truly, this is the Son of God. You know what those Roman soldiers had, had observed, had learned and understood in their staring? I've heard you talk about the Son of God. I've heard you deny Him. I've heard you attack, amen, His claims to that and what's written above His head. But we've come to the understanding through our staring and our observation that whatever you have said He is not, He must be. Whatever you say He isn't, He... Someone say hallelujah. Whatever you said he isn't, he must be truly. This man was the son of God. Listen today. We got to get in our minds again. These are Roman soldiers. These are not Jews. These are heathen paganistic people. They're polytheistic at best, meaning they believe in the multiplicity of gods. Barnes says that in the original, truly this is the son of God. In the original Greek it is, truly this is a son of a God. That would bear real true to their polytheistic beliefs and dogmas. But if that is so, walk with me here very closely. I won't hold you much longer. If that is so, the Romans used the term as they are using the term in their context of being polytheistic. It would still signify that what was there was a very renowned, this is according to the Roman belief, is a very renowned or divine person. A demigod, if you will, or as they would state it, here then, truly this man was a, watch it, truly this man was a hero. <laughs> Can I submit to you today that if you'll keep staring at the cross, when others see a villain, you'll eventually see a hero. When others see a mortal man, you'll finally see an immortal king. When others see no attraction, in time you'll be drawn by the magnetism of his true beauty. But here's the fact of the matter this morning, folks. You can't take your eyes off Jesus. You gotta keep staring at him. You gotta keep your gaze fixed upon him because whatever others have said he is not, you can come with a declaration that he is. But because you've been watching and guarding and staring and considering all the things up to this moment of time. Can I tell you this morning, we need to keep staring at him until we are awestruck. We need to keep staring at him until we are amazed. We need to stare at him until we know who Jesus is. We need to stare at him until we know him as the king. 
king and as the son of the living God. Stare at him until you know that he is the real hero on the cross among the masses. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did not even the apostle Paul, after all these things have been said and done, and they're living their life as Christians, they've been endued with power on high. They've received the gift of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God living inside of them. Has not even the apostle Paul, still yet though, encourage and urge the faithful Christians of the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. He tells them, look unto Jesus. The author and finisher of your faith. What's he saying? He's not saying stop staring. No. He's saying keep staring. Go on and sit down there and watch him there. Go on and sit down. You're not being rude. You're not being crude. But in your watching, there's a categorization that's happening in your brain. You're processing and you're denoting differences and you're learning of him as you watch him there. Keep staring. Keep staring. We're coming to a close here today. If the Masons would come. The soldiers didn't know what they were doing. But as they kept watching, as they kept staring, they gave the proclamation, he is the son of God. At least he is a hero or a divine person. Or at most, if they begin to garner an understanding of all the attacks of the claim of the Jews and other people of what he was not, they understood him to be exactly what they had said for him to be, the king of the Jews, the son of God. You might not realize it right now. You might be sitting in your home. Perhaps this is the first Easter service you've ever been a part of, of any kind, whether literally there or virtually there. You might not realize everything right now concerning that king of glory that everybody would seem make so much hype over on this particular day. But sir, ma'am, that's all right. Just sit down at the base of the cross and just look at him there. Just sit down and guard and watch him there because in your staring is going to come understanding. In your observation is going to come, is going to come some truths to light. You may not understand the significance of every detail of the crucifix. And there is so much there. It is so vast. You may not understand the significance of all of it as it is written in the harmony of the Gospels. But I am convinced that if you just sit down and watch him, observe him, for our sermon title purposes, if you'll stare at him, you're going to learn of him and about him. If we bow our heads all across these homes today. All across these homes today. I urge you this morning. I urge you this morning. Take another look at Calvary. Take another look. The learning process. The learning process. The understanding. It doesn't come. Even in the real world. It don't come by a glance. It don't come by a nonchalant, if you will, peak. No, no, no. It comes by an intentional 
stare, an intentional watch, an intentional, if you will, consideration. So go on and stare. Go on and consider and let the Lord, let the Lord bring some proofs of who he is to you. Watch the stones roll back over some dead things. Watch the stones roll back over some dead things. Feel the shaking and quaking, if you will, of the earth. Feel the quaking, if you will, and the renting of rocks. Behold him. Behold him. Taking consideration and retrospect everything up to this moment. He's different from any other criminal. He's different from any other individual. The response has been different. The action has been different. The way in which he has carried himself and the mannerisms of everything that we've ever witnessed, those Roman soldiers, no doubt, had going through their mind. It's different. They sat down and they watched him there. And their last plea that we hear from them is truly, this man was the Son of God. I wish somebody would come to that type of declaration and understanding this morning that this is the great Son of God. This is God manifested in the flesh. This is God who was spirit of John 4 that had not flesh and blood but made himself a body, came in the form of a man, made of a woman, Galatians tells us, so that he would have blood and he would have flesh that could be rendered and blood that could be shed for the remission of the sins of the people that he wanted to call his sons and daughters. Truly, this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Talk to the Lord this morning all across your homes as we conclude this morning. Amen. This Resurrection Sunday morning. Amen. Worship the Lord. Just set or stand there one more time and gaze at the cross and gaze at Calvary. Amen. We will not be here this evening. We're one service. We're just staying with our regularly uh, ordered things. Amen. As we would, we will see you on Wednesday. Amen. But magnify the Lord before you turn off your computers today, before you shift from your phone to somebody's feet. Just magnify the Lord and take one more time. Amen. To stare at the cross. You shared just for me.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.